0: Guys, it is so good to see you here. Happy New Year. I love New Year uh, for a lot of reasons. I feel like that everything in my past has been erased, and I can start over a little bit. I know I, I know that's not true, because when people ask me what I got for Christmas, my response is I got fat, and so I know that's there. And so uh, as we begin uh, 2019, I do see it as a, as a way to take advantage of some new opportunities. And this morning, I am so thankful that you're here to join us, and I hope that this becomes a... Habitual thing for you as we begin 2019. A couple of things I want to mention. Um, Next week we start a teaching series called Fortified. It's a study of 1 Peter. It's my favorite book in the New Testament, and I cannot wait to walk through it with you guys. There's so much truth in that, and uh, begin to make those specific applications, so don't miss that. But one of the things this past summer that I prayed for during my sabbatical was God just to show us what's next for River Hills, and three things came to mind. One was uh, the Lord leading us to do a building expansion. Another one was that the Lord leading us to go deeper personally through discipleship and groups. And the other one was missional involvement. And, and, and kind of to hash those out, as we begin 2019, all those things are happening. Not because of me or my leadership or anything like that, but because the Lord is working in your life. We have baptized this morning, our first Sunday of 2019. We've got baptism scheduled, I think, every Sunday after that. And um, I am so thankful for that. Uh, as we begin construction our new facility, uh, in a couple of weeks, couple, maybe a couple of months, depending on if it stopped raining, right? Uh, thankfully, we don't have any of the four class this week, uh, but also because of the construction boom, we are looking forward to putting a nice facade on the building, we're put, putting new Group rooms, new kid space, a lot of good stuff. And God is growing that, and God is blessing that. And so I'm excited about that and your faithfulness and generosity as we move forward. Our life groups are better than they've ever been. And if you're not in one, I'm just going to be straight up, get in one. You are missing out. Uh, We need people in our lives to hold us accountable and to push us spiritually. And that's when that happens. If your spiritual commitment is twice a month on a Sunday morning, you're not growing spiritually. You need those people in your life. And the third thing is missional involvement or missional momentum, and what I mean by that is that, as we grow as a church we 've always been missions oriented but to be missional means we do it in our community. Uh, we have some new initiatives that we 're starting in the next few weeks but we have and justin 's not in here our student pastor who preached last week did a fan he did a great job did he not uh, listen to some of what he did and always i 'm always not worried and confident in what he 's saying and uh but uh, he is scheduling out, I think we have 20 different, over 20 different missions opportunities in 2019. It's things as simple as going to New Orleans or going to South Georgia or going to Haiti. So you need to be a part of that, but also missional living means in your community whether you serve at a different organization to express the gospel or serving here on a Sunday morning, uh, we need kids' ministry volunteers because the whole, I've told you this before, the whole commandment to be fruitful and multiply, you have taken seriously here at River Hills. And uh, it's like throwing water on a gremlin, man. They're popping out everywhere. And uh, we've got babies all over the place. And you need to be investing in the next generation, just straight up. Whether it's student ministry or kids' ministry, you have something to offer and they need you. Sound good? So I hope that's a lot of conviction and guilt-driven to where you open up your Connect Card or your Connect Card app and sign up today to serve. Sound good? But this morning, we're going to start off a little different for 2019, and this is something near and dear to my heart, uh, and I hope you hear that through this message this morning, something I've been praying on and working on for several months. Um, as, As we gear up for 2019, I believe God is challenging us To be consumed, not a consumer. Now, let me help you understand what that means. uh, Christmas is over, and it was a wonderful experience for some of you. For some of us, it was a busy experience, right? And we're just glad that it's over, but everything leading up to Christmas is about consumption. Now, think through that for a moment. Some of you right now are figuring out a way to pay off everything from Christmas. Some of you are figuring out a way to stop spending money. Some of you are thinking about next Christmas and how you're going to spend money. My in-laws have already made reservations of where we're going to go next Christmas, so I guess we don't have to plan for that, which is a wonderful thing. But at the same time, everything, even in the Christmas season, is driven by consumerism. Think through that for a moment. What you buy, how you buy it, what we consume and how we eat. We love the sweet potato casserole and the apple pies and the pumpkin pie and that kind of stuff, all good stuff. But even in our culture today, everything is about consumerism. It's what impresses us, what's marketed to us, and what we're going to buy, right? If I just gave a test, and I'm not going to do that this morning, and maybe a pop quiz, some of the trademark slogans and sayings, you could probably come up with half a dozen without even thinking, right? I mean, the best part of waking up is what? Come on, y'all. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. I mean, eat more what? Okay, so you got that. It's so simple, and now you want a cup of coffee and go to Chick-fil-A, but they're closed today. Here's the thing. All that being said and done is that we're driven by that consumer mindset, and unfortunately it's leaked into the culture of church, is that we want our needs met so much that if we don't feel good at one church, We'll hop on over to the other. And I'm talking to you as Christians, okay, you as church members. Now, and I really want you to hone in and focus on what I'm saying. Back in the day growing up where I grew up, you had like two choices of churches, and if you got mad at one you went to the other and got mad at that one, you were out of luck, right? And when we look at Scripture and we look at the churches in the Bible, there was one church per region many times or one church per community, so there were no options. However, as the church has grown, as our culture has changed, the idea of being consumed with Christ has taking a back seat with the idea of being consumed with the me movement. Follow me on that? It's all about me. It's all about how I feel. Now, feelings are important. Excellence is important. Quality is important. We want to provide incredible ministries, not so we feel good about ourselves, but so we reach people with the gospel. That's why we do it. But here's the deal. When we're not being consumed with Christ, being a consumer makes us into bad church people. Just straight up. And so how do we make that con- transition from being a consumer to being consumed? And I believe the answer is being gospel-driven or being gospel-centered. Now, that's a phrase we say a lot here at River Hills Church. Be Christ-centered, be Christocentric, be, Christ- be gospel-driven, be gospel-centered. What does all that mean? What does it look like? And how do we begin to paint a picture of making specific application of our own lives? Okay. How do we step beyond of just making? I mean, look, hear my heart on this, and know that I love you. Some of us in this room have been walking with Jesus twenty plus years, but have never stepped beyond of being having our needs met to serve others. Right? Be being real with each other, right? Some of us have never stepped beyond of just well, I like the music, or I like the preacher, or I like that's, that's good, that's fine. But we want to go beyond that. We want to reach into the depths of where the gospel takes us, and it applies to our life in every second of every day and in every situation. You feel me on this? And so let's take a journey this morning. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to kind of skim over that entire book of the, or chapter of the Bible, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 16. Now, the reason we start there is because the book of Acts sets a historical context For all of the letters, pretty much all of the letters in the New Testament. When I say letters, Romans through Revelation, you can find its historical significance or context for most of them, not all of them, in the book of Acts. The book of Philippians, you find its historical context in Acts chapter 16. Does that make sense? And so to better understand it, you need to understand what's happening in this church. So there are four characters that we're going to be dealing with that are represented in the book of Acts. One of them is Paul. He is the writer of the book of Acts, and I want you to remember something as you read this with us this morning, is that Paul is is in prison because of his faith, writing to the church of Philippi, the Philippians, to communicate to them to take joy in the Lord and to be gospel-centered. You follow me on this? But let's catch in Acts 16, because I love, I, I love really, this for me, if I'm the Apostle Paul, this church would be my crowning achievement. And you're going to see in just a few moments why. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 6 because the first character we run into is the person of the apostle Paul. Now, Paul was from Israel. He grew up a Pharisee, radically converted to Jesus Christ, and became a church planter, became a missionary. And he planted churches all over Asia and then started dipping in To Europe. Now, what's interesting about Philippi is in a region of Macedonia. It's controlled by the Roman Empire. Now, it's not Roman per se, it's Philippian, but it's controlled by the Romans. It's kind of like Puerto Rico is for the United States. Why it has American culture, has a government there, it's protected by the United States. It does have a Puerto Rican very specific culture. You follow me so far on this? And so, understand what's happening here. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 9. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, chapter 16. I said 6, apologize for that. We're going to start in chapter 16. We're going to go down to verse 6, and I want you to hear what's happening here. Paul and his companions travel throughout the region. Now, he's all throughout Asia Minor, so if you can go back to your high school geography class, you can think through where Asia Minor is, is as present-day Turkey, and he's in that region. He's planting churches. He's expressing the gospel, but something happens to where God says, Don't go any further. Does that make sense to you guys? Notice what happens here at the last part of verse 6 having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Something told him to stop, so they stopped. So they traveled a little bit further, and in verse 9 it says, During the night, Paul have a vi- had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Basically what's happening is, as he's asleep, God gives him a vision in his dream, and it says, basically a man from Macedonia in Philippi, come here and express the gospel. So the next morning they get up and they travel to this area of the world. Now, interestingly enough, if you skip down to, let's go to verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and we sailed straight through Samothrace and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to what? Where did we travel to? Philippi, there you go. A Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. This is a wealthy city. It's an influential city. It's a territory of the Roman Empire. And interesting enough, a lot of Roman soldiers would retired to the city. So it had some prestige, it had some prominence, and it had some stability. And they stayed there several days. Now notice what happens in verse, let's go to verse 13. On the Sabbath, they went outside the city to go to the gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, Paul's traditional method of expressing the gospel was to go to a city, find the local Jewish synagogue, worship with them, and express Jesus to them. Does that make sense? But Philippi didn't really have one. And so many times, people who were religious, whether they were Jewish or even worshiping a pagan god, would go to the riverbanks and they would pray. Paul and his companions, Silas being one of them, we'll hear about him in just a few minutes, they go to the riverbank, they looking, they're looking for people to share the gospel with who are there praying, whether they're praying in a Jewish context or praying to a pagan god. You follow me so far? When they arrive there, notice what happens. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, so we know she's Jewish in her background, at least Jewish. She's following God, the true God, the God of the Bible. However, she had not converted to Christianity yet. You follow that so far? Now get this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she came, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Now, understand what's happening here. You see the first convert in Europe, you see the first convert in Philippi. You see that? Her name is Lydia. Interestingly enough, I want you to go back and, and, and read this with me. Interestingly enough, Lydia, if you go down to verse 11, that one of those listening was a woman from the Thyatira named Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, purple cloth in that day, the color purple, represented royalty, and the way they got the dye to color the purple cloth was from specific snails, and it was very, very expensive to make. That's why you see people dressed in purple as royalty because only the wealthy could afford that. Makes sense so far? Lydia was a dealer of this purple cloth. That means rolling. She was uber wealthy. Her household came to know Jesus. Lydia came to know Jesus, and when Paul and then walked up to her home and said, stay with us, they basically start your church here, they walked into a home that was immaculate. She was a powerful businesswoman. She had prestige, she had prominence, she had money, and she had intelligence. The first convert we see is someone of extreme wealth, but I want you to transition a little further here. Keep rolling with me. Verse 16, once, where we were, once when we were going to the place of prayer, going back to the river, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So basically what's happened is, as they're going to the place of prayer, there was a slave girl, 14, 15 years old maybe. She was possessed by an evil spirit. She was homeless. She was beaten probably. She was in the worst of circumstances. She was being used by these guys who were her masters to go and predict the future, and they would charge people money. This was an evil, evil practice. But you see this person here who is the most destitute of destitute. Does that make sense? She is a slave. She is a woman that is a, in a culture that was very much dominated by men. She had nowhere to go. She's being abused. All this stuff. And what happens next if we see in verse 17, she's following around Paul and all the disciples and she's basically screaming for several days, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you how to be saved. Now after a while, This gets annoying for Paul and his people. Can you imagine the disruption there for a moment? You're trying to share the gospel. You're having a conversation. Hey, would you like to know Jesus and this woman screaming or this little girl screaming who's a slave girl behind you? And finally what happens here is this. Notice this. In verse 18, she kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. You see, the second convert. Or the second family unit, but come to know Christ. Now I want you to think this in mind here. You had Lydia and her family, wealthy, successful, influential, intelligent. You follow me on that? Everything to give. The second convert or category, you have a slave girl, probably mentally ill, probably dealing with obviously dealing with demons, destitute, beaten and abused she comes to know christ and that was the second phase of people who came to know jesus in that church so you have a church with the wealthiest and the most intelligent and the most successful then you have a church with slaves all coming together to serve and know the lord you follow that so far one more aspect of this once the owners find out the slave girl can't predict the future, anymore, more they go to the authorities, they tell on them, and people didn't really like Christians at that time either, so they take Paul and his buddy Silas, and they throw him into jail. Now, we're going to talk about a guy who is the guy in charge of the jail. People who were in charge of the jail in Philippi were probably retired Roman soldiers. A Roman soldier would serve his stint in the military, and they want to retire to somewhere that was low-key and had all the services that they needed, so he retired to Philippi, and he becomes a jailer. Now notice what happens next here. Get this. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prisons were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prisoners' doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, Interestingly, can you imagine being the jailer for a moment? You've got this blue-collar guy. He served, in the, he served in the military. He's doing this as a part-time gig that gets a little extra income. I mean, he just wants to go home and take his Boston boat off the smoke or chop it up and have some barbecue. You feel me on this? That's that guy. I mean, he's tinkering in the garage on his car. He's just having to, he just wants to be left alone. But all of a sudden, these prisoners are loose. Not a good day, Right? And in that moment, because honor was such a big deal, he would rather kill himself than to be seen as a failure. So he draws out his sword to kill himself. Notice what happens next here. I love this. Verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are here. And notice the response of the jailer. This big, burly, retired military dude, okay? A blue-collar redneck. Let's just put it that way. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, felt trembling before Paul and Cyrus, and he then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, you can flip over to Philippians chapter 1 now. You have a guy who's the third category in this church. It's a blue-collar, rough-and-tumble bunch, just good, salty your folks. He's a part of that church. There's a slave girl, the destitute of destitutes, and then there's... The upper crust of society, wealthy, successful, influential. Later on, Paul leaves Philippi. He goes to prison in Rome, and he writes a letter back to this church. And I want you to notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 3 of Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, he says this in a lot of his letters, but I think this has extra significance here. And here's why. If I'm Paul, I believe my crowning achievement as a missionary would be Philippi. And the reason is, is that you don't have a white church. You don't have an African-American church. You don't have a Spanish-speaking church. This is not a blue-collar church or a white-collar church or a church that's constantly impoverished and in need. This is the church. You see that? This is the church of what heaven would look like. All classes, socioeconomic, all races, coming together with two things in common. The jailer, the slave girl, and Lydia all had two things in common. They needed Jesus, and they were radically changed. Do you see that? That is River Hills Church. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for Lydia to welcome people into her home. This is her church, right? Her home is church. And the first person that comes in, because she has nothing to do, is this slave girl. She's 15 years old and radically been exchanged by the gospel. She walks in. She really doesn't know what to say. She feels a little awkward, but Lydia throws her arms around her and perhaps wraps a a purple robe on her and says, Welcome, my sister. They walk in. They sit next together. And then here comes the jailer. He walks in. He smells like ribs. He comes in. They walk inside the church together in Lydia's home. The kids sit down, and they're next to the slave girl. And he has spent his life putting people in prison like her. You get this so far, and the three of them stand up at the feet of the Apostle Paul, and it's like, the gospel has radically changed me. How cool is that? That's the body of Christ, is it not? That regardless of your socioeconomic, regardless of your past, regardless of your race, regardless of your language, regardless of your color, regardless of anything else, we stand before a holy God. And when Jesus changes you, he changes you. That's church. But we get to Philippians. And Paul has been put in prison. He's probably going to die. Some historians believe that for 24 hours a day, Paul is chained to another prison guard. And he writes to the church of Philippi, Take Joy in the gospel. Take joy in Christ. Basically what he's saying, and I believe he's saying it to the church in 2019, be consumed, not a consumer. Lydia, slave girl, jailer, hear me on this. Christ has changed you. Now don't be a consumer of my message, consumer of my teaching. Be consumed with Christ and continue to be gospel-centered. You follow me on that? So in 2019, How does River Hills Church, how do you and I specifically become consumed, rather a consumer? This is the plague of the American church. Because the reality is, I can make you mad, and you've got 50 other options. You can hate our music, and you've got 50 other options. You can feel certain ways. You can dislike the comfortability of your chair. You cannot like that we have gray and green chairs in the same service, in the same sanctuary. All y'all looked at that right there. So like, yep, that has bothered me for years, Chip. You know, tough. <laughs> you know, here's the deal. The thing is this. You cannot like that and skip somewhere else. But the thing is, unless they're speaking poor doctrine and have no vision, what is your, drill, what is your real reason to be a church shopper? be a consumer you follow me on this because if you've been walking with Jesus for more than 15 minutes your role is to be consumed not a consumer you you with me right how do we get there how do we go how do we gospel-centered in that let's look at Philippians I believe there's some really good meat on the bone and I don't have a lot of time so I'm going to talk even faster here we go actually this is our last service today Settle in. (laughs) Verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Isn't that great? I mean, now look, if you go to the church of Corinth, first and second Corinthians, it's a painful letter, is what some of them call it. He's correcting them. You go to the church of Galatia in the book of Galatians, he's correcting their doctrine. I mean, but with Philippi, man, with these people in mind, he said, every time I think of you, I pray with joy. That's a pastor's dream, right? Keep reading. He prays with joy because in verse 5 of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Now, here's the deal. Here's where you get your, your meat here for our first step in being Christ-driven or gospel-centered. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or or defending and confirming the gospel. You see the you see the definition there. You see the difference there. Paul's saying, whether I'm in change, or I'm defending the gospel, or whether I'm confirming the gospel, whether I'm planting churches, expressing Christ, or I'm locked up in this prison, I take joy because of this. All of you sharing God's grace with me. You see that? All of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Here's the point I really want to hone in. We don't have a... You know, we could spend about six weeks in chapter one, but I really want to get this. All of you sharing God's grace with me, you see that? Here's the point, and here's where I want you to come to. If you're going to be gospel-driven, if I'm going to be gospel-driven, Christ-centered, christ whatever it may be for you, your first point in that is you have to identify yourself with the gospel. In order to be gospel-driven, you can't identify yourself as a fan of or a person of, you have to be gospel-changed. You get me on that? Gospel-driven means your identity changes. And we go back to verse 7, and it very clear here. Notice what he's talking about the church of Philippi. Notice what he says. He says, you share with me, you share in God's grace with me. You see that? You've been radically changed. Lydia, you've been radically changed. Jailer, you've been radically changed. Slave girl, all your family, y'all have been changed by the gospel. And your identity is now and therefore and will always be God's kid. Isn't that cool? You've transitioned from sinner to saint. This is good news for us as Christians. However, many of us as believers experience identity theft on a day-in, day-out basis with our Christianity. Now, identity theft, when we talk talk about it in, in a broad term, we're thinking about somebody stole your credit card or found your bank account number, or, or did something like that. Several years ago, Sarah Beth and I experienced identity theft. Thankfully, we caught them before they stole any money. But um, we'd already sent out the checks to be paid for the bills, and the bank closed our account. You've never lived until you bounced a check with IRS. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> identity theft does bad things, right? But here's the thing. As believers, we exchange our identity in Christ for many, many other things all, the, all the time, right? We struggle in being Christ-centered and being gospel-driven or because we allow identity theft to happen. A couple of things that steal our identity. I'm just going to really quick. Uh, identity theft in the sense of the urgent. Many times we are so focused on what's happening here and now that we forget that we are God's kids, right? I mean, you ever get anxious? You ever get worried? You ever get focused on, I've got to complete this task, I've got to complete that task? Here, here's the thing. When we allow... The, the sin of the urgency to take over, we lose our identity in Christ many times, or we forget about it. Y'all ever struggle with that? Or maybe it's, it's, the, it's the whole idea of circumstance. I'm dealing with certain things currently. I'm sad. I'm anxious. I feel this way. I feel that way. Or maybe this is what's happening in my life, and we identify ourselves in those moments and how we feel, and we forget about our identity in Christ. We identify ourselves with, a, with the idea of life stage. I identify myself as a pastor. I identify myself as a dad or a husband. Or you identify yourself as a mom, as a husband, as an employee. or state. Listen to me. When our circumstance or life change or urgency becomes our identity, we're missing out on everything Christ has for us. Maybe for us, I know for me, is that I allow the flesh to take over. It's my sin. It's my issues. It's my problems. And that identifies me. Y'all ever struggle with that? Maybe you identify yourself, or maybe you're identified as a liar, as a cheater, as an adulterer. Maybe you're identified as someone who's done some bad things, and that's preventing you from really, truly experiencing, I mean, you're, you're an alcoholic, or a drug, or you're at, whatever it may be, understand this, sometimes our flesh becomes our identity. Y'all been there? And then finally, I love this last one. It's the, it's, the, it's the fit in. I've got to fit in here. Hey, look, man, this transcends even into the church. My identity is with this life group, and that's who I am, or my identity is a Calvinist, or my identity is a Baptist, or my identity is a Methodist, my identity is an Arminian, my identity are in these things and these labels, and in reality, we miss the gospel completely, right? Here's the, th- here's the deal. Here's so what's so important for us in this. In order to see a gospel-driven life really make a profound difference individually And as a whole, we have to come to this place to where my identity is in the gospel. Go back to verse 7. Paul thanks the Philippians and prays with joy because they share in God's grace. Do you see that? And you know what? These labels didn't matter to the slave girl. Didn't, Didn't matter. Didn't matter to Lydia. Didn't matter to the jailer. It was just Jesus, folks. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with that, I want you to understand eternity waits for you by asking Christ to come into your life. That's where the identification change begins. Real quick, second thing I want you to get here. Gospel-driven living understands this. Let's skip down a little ways. Let's go down to verse 18. Notice this. Uh, No, let's go to 15. I'm sorry. Notice what happens here. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of, God, of goodwill. The, later do, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me I, while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether with false motives or true, Christ is preached. and Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, no, skip down a little ways. I want you to go to verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Get this last part. So that through my being with you again, you're boasting in whom? You see that? Will abound on account of me. There are three things we're going to extract from this. Because our first thought of being gospel-driven is our identity, but now here's your action. And this is what Paul is saying. I proclaim, I pray, and I praise. You see that? Go back to verse 15 and 16. His proclamation is saying, whether I am in chains or whether I am with you, my objective is to express the gospel. That's his job. That's what he wants to do. And in the heart of every believer, if you know Christ. Listen to me, if you know Christ, ultimately, you want to express that grace to other people. Now, if we took a survey of the room, and I said, hey, I want you to ra- I'm not going to ask you to do this, okay? But if we took a survey of the room, and I said, I want to ask you, who have you invited to church? Or maybe, let's go a little deeper, who have you personally expressed Christ to and how to become a Christian? If you've done that in the last month, raise your hand. It would probably be just a hand right? Now Christian, I'm talking to you for a minute here. You've radically been changed by the gospel. Christ has saved you, brought you from death to life. And the commandment he says is go and therefore make disciples of all the nations, Matthew chapter 28. And if someone had not taken that seriously and not told you, you wouldn't know, right? What's happening? You see, gospel identity, gospel-centeredness takes proclamation seriously. But it also takes prayer seriously. Notice what happens in verse 18. You can read back in your own copy of God's Word or on your smartphone or tablet. Here's the deal. He's talking about in every way, uh, pray. In verse 19, continue to pray. Pray in every way. And we're not talking about like prayers like, Lord, heal, heal me, I just stumped my toe, okay? Because let's be real. Our prayers are pretty pretty shallow. Y'all with me on that? Can we just be honest with each other for a second? Let's just be real. Lord God, please let Christmas dinner go in a hurry because uncle annoys me. You know, Lord God, please let there be that one last gift at Walmart because I really need that. Or Jesus, I pray that the slave patrol officer did not see me. Or, I mean, the list can go. Man, I'm talking about deep prayer, y'all. I'm talking about getting into it, understanding the ramifications that you and I are speaking to a holy God, and he changes things. He has the ability to speak oxygen into creation. It's all about prayer. And gospel-driven living says, I want more than just a healing with my foot. I want more of God than him just filling up my bank account. I want God. But beyond that, there's praise. At the very end of that section there it says, my boasting is in Christ. We are under the misconception that worship is music. That's what we're about, right? When we say, How was worship today? Well, I enjoyed the music. Mm-mm, man, you missed it. No, 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 no. When we take the Old Testament, the New Testament as a whole, worship is life. When we sing, that is a representation and that is an exclamation of what Christ has done. And the thing is to proclaim God to other people to pray to God for other people and for yourself, and to praise God for what he's done, we stand in this congregation together and we affirm it as a body of Christ, saying the gospel has impacted me so much that I can stand up and say, God, I am not a slave anymore. I am not a Lydia anymore. I am not a jailer anymore. I am who you say that I am. You get it? It's praise. And maybe your step of faith just I want to do something radical here for a minute. Y'all ready for this? Y'all with me? Here we go. Maybe your step of faith in this whole praise thing is to sing. Maybe sing a little louder than you are. It's to mean it. It's to embrace it. When we read these words on the screen, it says, God has changed me, you know? Am I, am, I, am I stepping on your toes a little bit here? Because the person in this room that hates to hear himself sing more than anyone else is your pastor, and you hate to hear me sing more than him. <laughs> but I ain't singing for you or for me. I sing for an audience of one, and as I held my children <laughs> the Rockaby baby, you know. And I sang them silly songs as they grew up. I can sing to a mighty God who saves me. You get me on that? Gospel-centered, gospel-driven living. means you're consumed, not a consumer. One more aspect of this. Notice what happens. Skip down a little ways to Philippians. Let's go to chapter 27. This is going to be a difficult passage, more so than the rest, all right and, and I let's just read it. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. now whatever it, what is going to happen? I don't know you know uh, we have a say in our house, don't deal with what what is, deal with the what is, you know, but he's saying, whatever happens, guys, I could be killed for my faith, but continue to live your life in a way that honors God. but notice how he says it, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm and in one spirit. Meaning, you're doing the right thing, and you're unified as a church. Striving together as one, faith for, the, as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And there's a lot to frighten this church. Their, their, their planter, their pastor has just been killed for his faith. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, and but that you will be saved in that by God. Now, this next part is very difficult to read. Y'all ready for this? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. Now, wouldn't it be great if God allowed this for a moment? That, that when you became a Christian, you were given a Bible and a bottle of Whiteout, right? And you could read Scripture and say, you know what, well, if you want to grow in your faith, read the Bible. But if you come to something you don't agree with, feel free Church, just to take out that white out and just mark it out. I mean, think about how blank my page would be for a moment, right? Wouldn't that be wonderful? However, that's not the case because I would take my white out and I would say, but also to suffer for him. No, I'm good with believing in Jesus. That's good because suffering, I'm good. I don't know. I don't want to do that. I know what you did to Jesus. You crucified him. I don't really want to suffer. But here's the deal. When your belief becomes so much a part of your identity and your action, eventually you're going to suffer. And what I mean by that, when your proclamation turns to loss of friendship, you follow me on that? When your proclamation becomes awkward, when your proclamation means you have to change some things, when your prayer leads you to a place to where you've got to step out on faith and be seriously uncomfortable. Don't we hate that? I can't tell you how many times I've neglected to do what God wants me to do just because it's awkward and uncomfortable. But hear me on this. That's a form of suffering. But when your praise becomes a position to where we say, Lord, use me, and I affirm that in you. And obviously we're not dealing with the suffering that the church in China has dealt with, even today where they meet in closets or in different places of the Sudan, and they worship the Lord, and they sing that praise but if they're heard, they're dead, you follow me on this, or they're in prison, we don't have to deal with that, but the suffering is a little different. It says this, is that your suffering is you may have to suffer through some things that may feel uncomfortable, may change your patterns, may change your lifestyle, may change your habits, but when it becomes your belief, when your belief is driving that, listen to me on that, there better be substance in your faith, not style. You follow me? The substance of gospel-centered living means that I find myself grounded in my belief so that when suffering happens, I don't turn from it. The thing is, this is gospel-driven living. The substance said Jesus is for you. But if your faith is built upon the ability of the communicator or the worship team or the church or the experience or the lighting or the not lighting or the chair or the pew or any if it's it's based on that nonsense, which is going to pass away and we'll stand before God and realize we're all wrong, here's the thing. If it's based on that, when the suffering or difficulties or uncomfortabilities happen, The style is going to fade away, and the belief is going to be dropped. But when it's the substance of the gospel that says the slave girl was radically changed, the wealthy woman was immediately generous, and the redneck was completely compassionate, substance changes. You with me? It's not about style. It's about the substance of the gospel. So the question is this morning, as we kind of wrap things up, what do we do next? 2019 is here. What are you going to do with your faith? How's it going to change you? Now look, 2018 for some of you are, thank God it's gone. Any of y'all there? But listen to me. that don't mean 2019 is going to be different. I've told you this before. You're one of three things. You're going into a bad situation. You're in the middle of a bad situation. Or you've just come out of a bad situation, right? Would y'all agree on that? Hard times. Now You rate bad how you want to rate it. So here's the thing. What are you going to do spiritually? And so we we say four things here at River Hills Church. We kind of evaluate our life groups with this. I want to ask you this morning to take a significant next step by connecting, okay? To start to be gospel-driven. Now, these are practical steps. There's a whole lot of meat on this bone we didn't deal with. But understand, I want to to ask you to connect. I want to ask you to connect by going. And what I mean by that is I want you to make missions an important part of what you do, what our church does. Invite someone to church. Express the gospel to a neighbor. Make sure it's an important part of what you're doing. Serve somewhere in the church. Go. Also, by gathering. Make church and make being here on Sunday morning a priority. But more than that, let's take, a, let's take a next step in that. Get in a life group. Look, I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. We, got, we have more and more people that are attending our church week in and week out. Don't be one that takes up space. Be a part of what's happening in this body. Gather as a life group. Gather as a church as a whole, but also grow. Go to your Bible app. It's on our app, River Hills, but it's also Bible.com or version. Pick one of the 20,000 plans. Set up the daily notifications on your smartphone. Let it pop up to you and read it and let it change you. Y'all with me on that? Really simple. And then give. Listen to me. Make an investment in God's kingdom financially. He has given you that money. Yes, we earn it, right? We agree on that. Listen to me. He can take it away. He's blessed us with as little or as much as we've got. Our job of whether we have a little or a lot, is to manage that and steward that. That's biblical, okay? Save it, get out and stay out of debt, invest it, and be generous with it. Make a commitment to be generous. And you understand your level of generosity, okay? Follow me on that? Connect, but here's the deal. Some of you are like, Chip, I need something deeper than that. I need more than just to connect. I need more than, I need more. Okay, those are practical steps. But there, you have no idea how hard my heart is hurting right now. You have no idea my heart is broken right now. You have no idea that I feel like I am paralyzed and I can't move forward, and I can't seem to go beyond that. I did something really stupid over Christmas. Um, and what makes it even dumber is that it's the second time I've done it. Now let me kind of explain what I've done. And you can feel free to laugh at me about this. I'm okay. Everybody else has. Um Uh, A friend of mine in our church, and he is not here this morning, so I can talk about this. So he doesn't know. He's on a job. Uh, Let me borrow his skid steer or bobcat. I call them miniature bulldozers. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys operate heavy equipment, and this is like the smallest one. It's like one of these little small bulldozers. Y'all with me so far, right? And, dude, I get in these things, and I I don't operate heavy equipment. I have a tractor. I drive that around. But, dude, when I get in this beast, I feel like a man. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, come at me, Bo. You know, it's just, come on, man. And I drive this thing around. And so uh, he let me borrow it. My, my driveway washed out. Uh, Amazon.com has gotten stuck three times in my driveway. They hadn't neglected my prime membership yet, but they're still there. And so I'm trying to fix my driveway and all that stuff. And he let me borrow it. But I have goats, and y'all know this. So follow me. This train. Of, I have my goats, and I have a pasture. And I thought, well, I've got this skid steer. Man, I'm going to create work for myself. You know what I mean? Because driving this thing around on the farm is awesome. So I'm out there, and I'm clearing bush and all this other stuff. And several years ago, he let me borrow it, and I got stuck. But, man, that was nothing to pair, compared to how I got stuck the other day. Y'all, here's how I'm stupid. It's been raining for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> Y'all with me on this? <laughs> you following my what's happening here? So guys, I'm in this skid steer, I'm at the back of my pasture, my son and I spent all summer building this fence, and so I get to the back of the pasture next to the fence, and I take off to go up the hill, and all of a sudden, the skid steer said, I'm not going anywhere, in fact, let's just dig a hole here. And so I stop this skid steer up to the cab. That means I'm like, hello ground, just like that. Unbelievable. But I'm like, you know what, I am a professional, I've been watching Gold Rush, you with me on that, David. And they got all the bulldozers there, and I've watched how they get unstuck, so I'm going to take my bucket and turn it and make it go boom, 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 So every time I do that, I move about three inches, but I dig another hole. And so I go, and I, like, I got like 10 feet of hole I've dug, and it's like this deep. You can stand in and go, hi, Mom. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm going, and then it starts draining water into it, and so the wheels start getting a suction, so it's like, all this, I'm going nuts. My brother comes down. He's holding his daughter, and he's like, look how dumb Uncle Chip is. My son, come, I mean, my son comes down and is like, dad, for real? Are you an idiot? No. And so I mean, you gotta understand something, man. I'm like in this skid steer and it's not mine. And I'm like, and I've done this before. I'm so stupid, you know? And I'm like, Lord, ah, ah. And i finally stopped. And I said, God, I know, I know I need to grow, I need to be gospel centered here. I'm about to preach on this on Sunday. So God, this is no lie. what I'm about to tell you is no lie. I said, God, I believe you're the God that can move mountains. You have radically changed me. I just read in Acts 16 and Philippians 1 about Lydia, about the slave girl, about the jailer. And God, I believe that. I believe you heal people. I've seen you provide my life. So, Lord, right now. I mean, I even talk in my preacher voice like that. You know what I'm saying? So, Lord, right now, (laughs) deliver me out of this mud hole. And so I ease the little scoop down hit the gas, and you all know what happened. Nothing! (laughs) Nothing! All I had to do, but here's the problem. All I got to do is back up, and I'm out of the mud. But here's the problem. I got a fence that I spent all summer building, and I'm going to tear my fence up. Two hours of prayer and other words. And here's the thing. And all I got is a hole in a stuck bobcat. And so finally, I'm like, you know what? I got to cut the fence. So I cut this fence. And you, I got in there, I put it in reverse, and it went, Zip, boop, done. Ah! So now i got to fix my fence. Why did I tell you that story? Here's why. Some of us in this room are completely stuck, and all you got to do is cut the fence. Right? Your fence has become your identity. Your identity is your Life stage, your fit-in problems, our flesh, whatever it may be for you. And all you got to do, all I have to do, cut the fence, man, and back up and watch God do God things. Why aren't we cutting the fence? Why aren't we backing out? Why are we going to sit there and spin our wheels? Where is your fence? What is keeping you confined? What is our issue? Are you with me? You've got yours, I've got mine. Let's cut the fence in 2019 and back into what God has for us, right? This is what we're called to do. So here's the thing. I want you to know, we connect by doing these things, but I also want you to know about Jesus. Jesus radically gives you hope and radically provides healing. Do you want that? You've got to cut the fence. you got to step out. you got to get uncomfortable may get a little muddy, but you'll get unstuck. You with me? This morning, some of us need to get unstuck. Some of us need to be gospel-driven. I'm going to ask you to do something. Hopefully by now, you've downloaded the River Hills Church app, and you have a Connect form on your phone. Take it, fill it out. If you have a Connect card, fill it out, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you three, four, I'm going to give you four action steps, real practical. One, if you don't know Jesus this morning, it's time to know him. Check that box. Two, if you've never gone public with your faith, it's time to get baptized. Check that box. Three, if you're not in a life group, it's time. Alright? And four, hear me on this. Four, it's time to start serving if you do nothing. You with me? It's time to take that step of faith and serve. Check those boxes. Check that app. If you don't have an app, if you can't get it, here's the deal. You can text me. My number is 770-601-5405. You'll never have a pastor do that. That is my personal cell phone. Text me we can get that on the screen, we'll try to do that, Seven seven zero six zero one five four zero five. 601 5405 Text me and tell me what you know. You need Jesus, you need baptized, you want to serve, or you need a life group. You with me on that? Let's take that next step of faith and make it real and get unstuck. You all with me on that? Let's pray. Father, you are bigger and better than we deserve. Lord, we've gone way over this morning, but God, I believe that we need to get unstuck, and I pray, God, that you would unstick us, that we would cut the fence, and that we'd move forward. Change us completely. Help us be so gospel-driven that it overwhelms our lives to the place where our identity is in you, our hope is in you, our healing is in you, and that, God, that you would change us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And I pray, God, that in these moments that you would radically, radically overwhelm us with your grace. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.